You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. just one moment in his presence could change the destiny of someone's life here tonight. Chains can be broken. Addiction can be broken. Somebody can be healed and delivered tonight by just one moment in his presence. So why don't we do that? Why don't we lift up our hands right now? Hallelujah, Jesus. God, we praise your holy name in this place. God, we pray that your presence would come into this place, Lord, and touch our hearts and our minds. God, have your way in this service, Lord, here tonight. We thank you for your presence and for what we feel here tonight, Lord. And we give you all the praise and all the worship here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless the music tonight. I give honor to our leadership here tonight, Pastor and Sister Carter, who are on a, a much well-deserved vacation, and we, we miss them very much, and we look forward to their return, safely, of course, and uh, I give honor to Brother and Sister Robertson, and we love and appreciate your leadership and your mentorship to uh, Jane and I, and of course, the rest of our, our hyphen team, our youth team, and, and the rest of the leadership of this church, and I give honor to all of you here tonight. You may be seated. And to my amazing family, of course. I love you all very much. And if you have your Bibles here tonight, turn with me to Ezra chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 10 through 11 from the New King James Version. Verse 10 says, When the builders lay the foundation of the temple of the Lord... The priests stood in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord, according to the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever toward Israel. Then all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because, someone say because, the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Tonight, I want to talk to you a few moments on this subject, a firm foundation. If you have your Bibles, could we set them down right now and just begin to lift up our hands? And let's praise God one more time before this service starts. God, we thank you for your presence here tonight, Jesus. We pray that you'd have your way, God, and that your spirit would fill this room here tonight. God, that you minister your word to us. We open our hearts and prepare to receive what you have for each and every person here tonight, Lord. And we give you all the glory and all the worship, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hurricane Ike was a powerful tropical cyclone that swept through portions of Northern America in September 
2008, wreaking havoc on infrastructure and agriculture, particularly in the state of Texas. The remnants of Hurricane Ike continue to track across the United States and into Canada, causing considerable damage inland before dissipating on the next day. Hurricane Ike was blamed for at least 195 deaths. 74 were in Haiti, which was already trying to recover from the impact of three other storms that had made landfall that same year. Seven people were killed in Cuba. In the United States, 113 were reported killed directly or indirectly, and 16 were still missing as of August 2011. Due to its immense size, Hurricane Ike caused devastation from the Louisiana coastline all the way to the Kennedy County region near Corpus Christi, Texas. In addition, Hurricane Ike caused flooding and significant damage along the Mississippi coastline in the Florida Panhandle. Damages from Hurricane Ike in U.S. coastal and inland areas estimated at about $30 billion as of 2008, with additional damage of $7.3 billion in Cuba, $200 million in the Bahamas, and $500 million in the Turks and Caicos, amounting to a total of at least $38 billion in damage. At the time, the hurricane was the second costliest in United States history. The search and rescue operation after Hurricane Ike was the largest search and rescue operation in Texas history. If I'll get our media people to bring up that photo. In the wake of the hurricane, a beautiful yellow beach home in Gilchrist, Texas, was still left standing. Despite an enormous storm surge, the house was literally the last house standing in Gilchrist, Texas. It had superficial exterior damage and ma major water damage inside, but it was still structurally sound. Most of the homes surrounded what was dubbed, and I quote, the last house standing, were older and not up to windstorm code. Many of their neighbors were not elevated above the flood elevation, and Hurricane Ike exceeded the 100-year flood levels. With storm surge at almost 20 feet, the older homes could not withstand the volume of water, pushing on their walls and foundations, so eventually they crumpled due to the hurricane. Now, this isn't the first time the owners of the Yellow Beach House experienced a hurricane. After experiencing Hurricane Rita in September 2005, Warren and Pam Adams' older beach cabin had sustained enough damage they decided to rebuild to the new standards. Incorporating the most common structural elements of plywood shear walls with bracket hold downs, high design pressure windows and doors, as well as a clip and strap fastening system, the home was well suited to handle Hurricane Ike. Since it was elevated higher than the code required, it also resisted most of the water as well. There was some roof damage from wind and siding damage from the floodwaters, but the structural elements remained intact, all because of the home's structure and its firm foundation. Now, at the beginning of this, of this uh, lesson, I talked about in Ezra chapter 3, about the builders laying the foundation of the temple. However, this, is, this wasn't the first time the temple was built. This was actually a rebuild of the temple. But let's go back to the history of the temple and how it all came to fruition of being built. 2 Samuel chapter 7 describes King David's desire to build a temple for the Ark of the Covenant. 
the prophet Nathan encouraged David to do what was right in his heart because the Lord was with him. Later that night, God spoke to Nathan, and God reminded him that he had not dwelt in any house since the time that he brought the children of Israel out of bondage. Instead, the Spirit of the Lord has dwelt in a tent and a tabernacle. And Nathan told David everything that God had told him. And in 1 Chronicles 28.3 explains what happened next. And God said this to David, But God said to me, You shall not build a house for my name, because you have been a man of war and have shed much blood. So David, it wasn't the will of the Lord for David to build a temple for him. It would be his son Solomon who would be his successor as king. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 13 says this, When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. There's a bit of a double meaning in, the, in this portion of Scripture here. Yes, he's talking about his son Solomon, but this is also... Um, a prophecy for the Messiah that was to come. So even though David didn't get to build the temple himself, he did a lot of Solomon's groundwork. First Chronicles 22, it discusses the materials that were going to be used for the temple. David purchased a threshing hold, which would be the temple's foundation. He commanded masons to make stones for the temple, prepared iron for the nails of the doors of the gates, and gathered cedar trees. Other detailed materials include timber and stone, 100,000 talents of gold, and 100,000 talents of silver, brass, and iron. Solomon added beautiful touches to the temple. The walls and the floors were made of cedar. Now, all these materials that I've mentioned, they were some of the most magnificent and strongest materials of that day. 1 Kings chapter 6 says that there was gold everywhere. Solomon made a partition using chains of gold before the oracle, he laid the whole altar by the oracle with gold, and he overlaid the floors of the house with gold within and without. And Solomon overlaid the whole house with gold until he finished it. Now, according to the King James Version Study Bible, the temple was 90 feet by 30 feet wide, twice the size of the tabernacle. So this is quite an impressive structure that I've described to you, made with most magnificent and strongest materials of that day, and it was quite large as well. Now, here's what happened once the temple was fully completed and built. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. It says, When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. When all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever. So how did it get to the point of this temple being torn down and for its destruction. How, how would an impressive structure like this build from these strong materials be torn down? Well, Second Chronicles chapter 36 tells us, verses 15 to 20, 
And here's what happened. Verse 15 says, And the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them, being the people of Israel, by his messengers, rising up early and sending them, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. I must say that I am, I am honored, I'm privileged, and I thank God that I have messengers in my life that are willing to speak to me in my life in time of need. Not only do we need to be sensitive to the voice of God, but we also need to be sensitive to the people that speak into our lives from the voice of God as well. And because he has compassion, he has compassion for you and I and for his people, and I thank God for that today. But unfortunately, in verse 16 says, but they mocked the messengers of God. They despised his words and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people, till there was no remedy. The God that we serve, he's a God of love, he's a God of grace, and he's a God of mercy. But when that is rejected, he is, we, we need to remember he's also a God of judgment. And if his grace, his love, and his mercy is rejected, then with his very character and nature, he has to go to his judgment. But I thank God it doesn't stay at his judgment because his mercy triumphs over his judgment. And his love is greater than his judgment. It says, Therefore he brought against them the king of the Chaldeans who killed their young men and the sword of the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on young man or virgin, on the age or the weak, he gave them all into his hand. And the articles from the house of God, great and small, the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his leaders, all these he took to Babylon. Then they burned the house of God, broke down the wall of Jerusalem, burned all its palaces with fire, and destroyed all of its previous or precious possessions. And those who escaped from the sword he carried away to Babylon, where they became servants to him and his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia. So the people of God essentially turned against God's messengers and despised his words and scoffed at his prophets. How, how did it get to this point where the people of God did that? See, if, if you go through 2 Chronicles chapter 35 and 36, and you look through the various kings that were leaders of Israel at that time, the Bible says the last three kings before the Babylonian captivity says that they did evil in the sight of the Lord. But let's take a look at the final king that took place before the Babylonian captivity, the final king that reigned in Israel, 2 Chronicles 36, 11 through 14. This man named Zedekiah, he was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did evil in the sight of the Lord his God and did not humble himself before Jeremiah, the prophet who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. So there was his first mistake. He didn't humble himself before the man of God. In verse 13, he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear an oath by God, but he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord God of Israel. And there was mistake number two, is that he did not turn to, to the Lord God of Israel. And it says, moreover, all the leaders of the priests and the people transgressed more and more. 
according to all the abominations of the nations, and defiled the house of the Lord, which he had consecrated in Jerusalem. It goes to show the power of influence just by one person. Because of one leader that did not yield to the ways of God, that did not turn to the Lord, and so the people of God also transgressed as well. So, you want to, so that pegs the question, why did Jerusalem and its temple fall? Because the people of God neglected and they rejected their firm foundation, which was the presence of the Lord. You see, the foundation of the temple, it wasn't the physical materials that were made up of the temple, the gold, the cedar. That wasn't the foundation of the temple. The foundation of the temple was the presence of God that filled the temple. I'm going to get back to Jerusalem, and I thank God that's not the end of the story for Jerusalem. Because even though they didn't rely on their firm foundation, they neglected and rejected their firm foundation, that wasn't the end for them. But I'd like to talk about a man in Scripture who who had a firm foundation in the presence of the Lord. And that man was David. You see, David, he wasn't a perfect man by any means. David even made some big, grave mistakes in his time. But the key difference is he always turned to the presence of the Lord in the midst of his troubles and his mistakes. Even when a giant enemy like Goliath tried to take him out, he wasn't able to because he had a strong and firm foundation. See, David wasn't an impressive individual. He was just this teenage kid. Scholars say that he possibly had freckles and red hair. I don't know, but that's what they say. He's just this cute little kid. And here was this giant. It's, you know, it's debated how tall Goliath actually was. It says six cubits and a something. I I forget. But could have arranged, ranged from 9 to 11 feet tall, let's say. So either way, he's a giant. He's a big man. He, he was trained up from his youth. Even the very king of Israel that time, King Saul and his men were scared of him. He had a sword. He had a javelin. He had all his protection gear. And here's this little teenage kid with a slingshot and five stones. But David didn't need all that. He had a firm foundation. He had the presence of the Lord. That's all he needed. 1 Samuel 17.45 says, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. See, if you have a firm foundation of the presence of the Lord in your life, and the enemy tries to come at you like a flood or the storms of life come your way, There's nothing that can take you out. And the enemy, he doesn't always try to come at you like a flood and tear your foundation down. Sometimes the enemy's a little sneaky and he he tries to do things slowly. Sometimes the enemy is a roaring lion. He seeks whom he may devour. You see, when a lion attacks his prey, he first stalks his prey. And with the enemy, it's no different. You see, the enemy may try to poke some holes in your foundation. He may try to form some cracks in your foundation and allow some things to seep through 
that is not welcomed in your temple and may cause damage before it's too late. In David, he didn't rely on his own strength or his own power, but he relied on the Lord. He relied on the presence of the Lord. Psalms 27, verses 1 through 2 from the NIV, David coined these words. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? If there's darkness and the light of the Lord comes in, darkness has no choice but to flee. The creator of this universe bought and purchased me by his blood. What do I have to fear? What do you have to fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The creator of this universe is my stronghold. What do I have to be afraid of? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall because I have a firm foundation. And things didn't change when he became king of Israel. As a matter of fact, it was quite the opposite. His first course of action was we need to get the ark. We need to get the ark of the covenant. If we're going to feed our enemies, we need the presence of God in Jerusalem. David understood that. He understood that in order to defeat their enemies, they would need the presence of the Lord. They would need a firm foundation. Now, even though we now live in the New Testament, there's one thing that still remains the same, and that is the presence of God is still our firm foundation. Some differences, though, is that our Creator, our God, He came to this earth, robed Himself in a body of flesh as the man Christ Jesus, and He shed His blood for our sins so that we can have eternal life with Him. 1 Corinthians 3.11, Paul says that for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. No longer do we have to go to a physical temple to access the presence of God. No longer can the priests be the only ones to go to the Holy of Holies and access the presence of God. But we are given a gift, a special gift from the Father himself, the Comforter, where we can access the presence of God no matter where we go. See, when we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, we now have the presence, His presence living inside of us everywhere we go, and our bodies are now that temple that can house the presence of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 6.19, Paul says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? See, when you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost in your life, you are laying the firm foundation to your temple and to your life. Now let's go back to the temple and the people of Israel. And I thank God that God did not keep them where they were at. That God went back to executing His grace and His love and His mercy for His people. 
Ezra chapter 1, verses 2 through 3, it says, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is among you of all his people? May his God be with him and let him go to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord of Israel, which is in Jerusalem. Even though the people of God neglected and rejected their firm foundation, and even when God executed judgment on them, like I said, he went back to his grace, went back to his love and his mercy. If your foundation has been torn down today, just one moment in his presence, the Lord can change everything. The foundation, the firm foundation can be laid in your life once again. Let's go back to our opening scripture. Ezra chapter 3 says, When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with symbols to praise the Lord according to the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsibly, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever toward Israel. Then all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the Lord was laid. Do you remember when you first received the gift of the Holy Ghost? Do you remember when you laid that firm foundation in your life of the rejoicing that took place when you laid that foundation in your life? And before, when you, when you lived your life in the world, you, you were trying to establish a firm foundation, but you quite you couldn't quite figure out what it was that you're trying to seek after. But then when you laid the foundation in your life, the firm foundation, you realize this is exactly what I was looking for. Music, you can come back at this time. Now, when you lay a firm foundation in your life for the presence of the Lord, you also have to maintain your foundation. You must care for your foundation. And Jesus tells us how we do that in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. He says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. See, it all starts with our personal relationship with Jesus. It's more than having just having the presence of God. It's loving the presence of God in our lives. Loving Him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength through devoted prayer and reading His Word. When we do that, abiding by His Word and His commandments, they don't become a snare. They don't become an, an obligation. They become a delight to each and every one of us. See, even though David broke the commandments of God at times, Psalms 119 says many times that he delighted in the commandments of the Lord. 
And other times he said that they were more precious to him than gold. Let's all stand at this time. I feel like there's somebody here today that you've come into the service here tonight and you feel like that the foundation in your life has crumbled. But I'm here to tell you that that firm foundation can be restored in your life once again. Just one moment in his presence, that firm foundation can be laid in your temple and in your life once again. I look back at Jonah when the Bible says that he turned away from the presence of God when God gave him a task of preaching repentance to Nineveh. And it was then when the storms came in his life that he found himself in darkness. He found himself in the fish's belly, but then when he turned back to the presence of God, he laid that firm foundation in his life once again. I'm going to open these altars tonight for anyone who needs a restoration in their firm foundation tonight or for anyone who simply just loves the presence of the Lord and wants him to move here tonight or if you have a need here tonight God is able to meet that need no matter what it is today so I'm going to invite everybody to come right now joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.